0: Hey, Sanctus Church, welcome to week eight in our amazing summer series called The Real You. Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Ruth, Esther, John the Baptist, Mary Magdalene, all showing us different facets of our God-given identity. As I was preparing for this message, I came across an amazing thought by a man named David Paulson, a great leader who actually has just died and is now with Jesus. And uh, though he loved Jesus, him and I disagreed on many things, including our whole theology around releasing prayer, but David Palson was so good on identity. Listen very closely. Whether you're a seeker, a skeptic, a brand new Christian, a long-term Christian, listen to what he says about the danger of rooting ourself in the wrong way when it comes to identity. He says, what are the ways people get identity wrong? Perhaps you construct a self by the rules or accomplishments listed on your resume. You might identify yourself by your lineage, your ethnicity, job history, schools you attended, by your marital status, your parental role. Perhaps you define who you are by your political leanings, the objects of your sexual longings. Maybe you consider yourself to be summed up in your Myers-Briggs category or your psychiatric diagnostis- diagnosis. Your sense of self might be connected to how much money you have or how much money you don't have your achievements or your failures, the approval of others or their rejection of you on your self-esteem or your self-hatred. Perhaps you think that your sin Or sins define you. You're an angry man, an addict, an anxious people pleaser. Perhaps afflictions define you in your mind. Disability, cancer, divorce. Even your Christian identity might be anchored in something other than God. Your Bible knowledge. Your giftedness. The church denomination that you belong to. Ready? Here it is. In each case, your sense of identity... Comes, I love this word, unglued from the God who actually defines you. That's why we have been this whole summer working on grounding our core identity in what God says over us and is declared in us. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for minutes or decades. This is an ongoing, needed conversation. See, what God says over you, over us, he cannot lie. He does not change. And what he says over us does not change. Father and mother of nations, called, favored, friend of God, intercessor, redeemed, freed, called to courage, called to bring the kingdom of God, so much more. And yet, One of the most important identity markers of a Christian is rarely talked about, rarely preached about, and hardly ever written about. You say, well, John, (laughs) what identity marker is that? Oh, it's this. Jesus is your brother. If you are a Christian, I know not all of you are, but if you are a genuine follower of Jesus, you are a sister and brother of Jesus. And Jesus is your actual brother. When's the last time you called yourself by that name? When, when was the last time when you were praying, you've said, Hey, Jesus, my older brother, could we talk? Now, to explore this amazing, rarely talked about identity marker, we actually need to start somewhere unexpected. We need to start with Jesus' own biological family. When when you begin to walk through the story of Jesus' family, the real meaning of Jesus, our brother, becomes really clear. Only at the end, you're going to have to stay with me for this one. This one's going to get interesting. so let's start at Christmas. you're like, of course, Jen, you're saying Christmas. Yes, I am. Gabriel comes to a young teenager named Mary, and what does he declare? Luke 1:30, The angel says to Mary, "Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive, give birth to a son, you are to call him Jesus, he will be great, and be called the Son of the Most High." And it's her response that brings the beginning of this identity conversation we're having today into focus just a little. Mary responds in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me as you've said. And then the angel left her. So think about the power of this. Yes, 100% I'm in. Hey, Gabe, Gabriel, go tell our creator. I'm the Lord's servant. I'm willing. I'm open. Yes, Jesus, you can come and have your way in my life. I know my place. I have decided I will be a servant, a bond servant. The word is actually slave. I'm willing to risk everything I know because I know what you're going to do is more significant. Here I am, God. I'm your servant. Now. She's just been told as a young teenager that she's going to be the mother of Jesus, the mother of the person who's going to fulfill the old Testament, the one who is the culmination of the Jewish faith. Oh, and oh, by the way, the savior of the world. And does she say, does she say, Oh, my identity is I'm the mother of the savior of the world. Everyone sit down. No. No. Shockingly, she doesn't pull that card at all. She says, oh, I'm a servant of God. Uh, she repeats this very quickly in her famous praise psalm, which, we'll, which we call out of the Latin version, the Magnificat, the outburst of praise. You found it in verse 46 in chapter one. Mary says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Let me just do a little rabbit trail. That's important. Sin entered the world when Eve took the forbidden fruit and then passed it to Adam. Man, isn't it wild? Have you caught this? That salvation now comes first to a woman and then out of her, the new Adam will be birthed to deal with the sin of the first Adam. Oh, but notice what Mary still says about herself. She says, Oh, I'm excited, God, and I worship you because you are my personal savior. See, Mary even knows she needs a savior, unlike what the Catholic Church teaches, that she was sinless and born of a virgin and never died. No, no, no. Let the scripture speak. She's like us. She is a human being needing God to intervene and save her. God needs to save her from her sin. That's what she says right in this praise psalm. Verse 48. For God has been mindful of the humble state of his. There it is again, servant. Now, from now on, all generations are going to call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Yes, Mary absolutely says part of my identity is I am blessed. I'm actually blessed beyond any woman that has ever lived. True, but notice what she says about herself again. Oh, I'm a servant. Now, at this point, you should be saying, John, why are you talking about Mary when we're supposed to be talking about Jesus? And and our identity is Jesus is our elder brother. Okay, wait for it. We're sort of getting there. Next part. Mary had lots of kids with Joseph after Jesus. Uh, Mary, like I said, was not a perpetual virgin. Just let the scripture speak. Matthew one twenty four: when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do and took Mary home as his wife. And he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to Jesus. And Joseph named him, interestingly, Jesus. So after that, just like every married couple, right? And they have lots of kids. So Jesus had lots of stepbrothers and stepsisters. Two of them we know well, but you might not know they're the stepbrothers of Jesus, James and Jude. So let's keep going. James writes the letter we have in the New Testament called James. He's a major church leader, but that's the end of his story. James is the half brother of Jesus. He's one of Mary and Joseph's kids. He becomes later the leader of the Jerusalem church. You can read about that in Acts 15, but he was not always a follower of his brother. He was not a fan of his brother. Actually, he hate hated his brother. When you read the gospel of Mark, the earliest gospel, by the way, twice, most of Jesus's family tried to shut Jesus down. And James was one of them. Mark 3.21, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of Jesus and they said he is out of his mind. He's crazy. Mark 6.1, when Jesus left there, he went to his hometown. Accompanied by his disciples, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many that heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? What's this wisdom that has been given to him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? You know, (laughs) and they took, here it is, offense at him. And Jesus said back to them only in his hometown, among his, ready, relatives. In his own house is a prophet without honor. So James does not believe the claims of Jesus. They were not seekers. They thought Jesus was crazy, liar, demon possessed. They were not disciples. They were angry. They wanted to shut him up and shut him down. He was a danger to himself, a danger to their family reputation. And it took years. Jesus's life, James doesn't believe. Jesus's miracles, does not believe. Jesus's teaching, does not believe. Jesus's fame, does not believe. Jesus is executed and dies on a cross. He does not believe. Jesus physically comes back from the dead. He does not believe. And then it says that James meets his half brother who by the way, claimed this whole time to be Messiah, the son of God, God in flesh. And James only believes after he physically meets his dead executed brother. Only then does James become a radical follower of Jesus. It's actually what Paul records in first Corinthians 15, seven. Then Jesus appeared to James, then the apostles. Now we know from Christian and non-Christian sources, James ends up himself being murdered for preaching about Jesus and his death and resurrection. I've preached this before. Let me do it again. So James from brother grew up with Jesus. I know all about him to enemy, cynic, skeptic, doubter, believer, leader, leader, at the center of the ancient Christian community. And why? Because James bought into some lie that Jesus really rose from the dead. He didn't. No, 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 no. This this was a really good story. He got conned. Are you joking me? Because there's a benefit to this? No, no. Just read your history. There is zero benefit of being a Christian at this time. Actually, it leads to bad things only. And when you listen to James, this is what James says. I have literally met my executed dead brother alive. I have to believe. Now, you're like, John, um, I thought we are talking about identity. Stay with me. If you read James's book, the book of James, you see something very quickly that I had never caught before. And I've read this a lot, and I'm sure some of you have too. You begin to see Mary's influence on the other boys. Most of us would think James would say, Hey, <laughs> I'm the brother of the savior of the world. I grew up with him. We used to share coffee together, right? My mom is Mary. Everyone else sit down. He doesn't even bring up, I met my dead brother alive. When you read James, here's the very first verse, ready? James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's just stop and hear that phrase again, servant of God, slave of God, and of Jesus. It captures the concept that God's ownership over his people and their willingness to carry out his will, it implies obedience, loyalty, and service. And again, as one wrote hundreds of years ago, an involuntary slave is a slave that fears punishment. And therefore, service does not spring from love, but a voluntary servant is really no different than a, ready? Son. James says, I'm a slave of God and a slave of the Lord Jesus. Now don't miss this. He's a servant of both of them. And though he doesn't work it out here, this is wild that James, an Orthodox Jew is saying this because he's putting God and Jesus, his half brother on equal status. So in other words, to know God is to know Jesus. The kid he grew up with, his his older brother, actually is one with God. In other words, this is true or terrible, wrong or right. There's no in between. And also you even see from this, you can't just accept Jesus as savior, not as lordship. But amazingly, James, this great Christian leader, the literal brother of Jesus doesn't say, oh, I'm the brother of Jesus. That's my identity. What's his identity? Well, it's what his mom taught him. I am a servant. Of God and Jesus. Okay, next brother, Jude. Jude in Hebrew is Judah, and and Jude in Greek the variant is Judas. Now we're not talking about Judas who betrays Jesus, but Judas the brother of Jesus. Remember back to Mark uh, six three. Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, and Judas? Jude. So Jude, another half brother of Jesus writes another letter to all the churches called Jude. We went through it in the last few years as a church. And you can see Mum's influence on him too. And James's. Jude one. Jude, ready? (laughs) A servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. So Jude calls himself a servant of his brother, Jesus, who is the Christ. So watch this. Mary, James, and Jude claim that their identity, not just what they do, this isn't critically important, not just the spiritual gift of service, not the spiritual discipline of service, their actual fundamental identity is servant, bond servant, slave. One historian says this, uh, understanding the time. Greeks and Romans despised slavery above all else. They would not object, of course, to governmental service as long as it was voluntary, an expression of good virtue, of being a good, loyal citizen. But compulsory service, on the other hand, meant loss of freedom and the loss of one's dignity. And Jude says, oh, I am so excited that I'm a slave. So it's pretty clear That one of the core identities that we all have as Christians is we are servants, bond servants, slaves to Jesus. See, service isn't just what we do. It's actually what we are. God has sung, spoke, declared, and commanded this over every single Christian. If you are a Christian, one of your core identities is this. You are a servant of God. like, thanks for the sermon, John. That was great. But I thought we were talking about Jesus as my brother. So you're going to get to that? Yep. (laughs) So mom and two half brothers and all the leaders, all of them leaders in the early church, all don't use their family connection to build their identity. Of course, family origin is important. I mean, Mary and Jude and James all point to it, but it seems that servant supersedes that as an identity marker. So what do we do with this? Well, Mary and James and Jude all had encountered Jesus and his saving work and all had been moved, lean in, from just biological family to saved, redeemed family, from knowing Jesus to knowing Jesus. James and Jude had moved from stepbrother to real elder brother. So where does Jesus, my brother, come into play? Okay, where does this connect to my core identity? Uh, 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 Well, you got to go to Romans and Hebrews. See, Paul outlines how James and Jude and Mary, and if you're a Christian, and you became a brother and sister of Jesus and how Jesus became your literal elder brother spiritually. And to get this you just got to go over to Romans 8. Romans 8:28. 8, one of the most famous verses in the Bible. We know that in all things God works out God works for the good of those who love him who've been called according to his purpose. Now, ready? We know, Paul says, not we suppose, not we wish, we, we sort of under, no, no, because of God's character and promises, we know that if you are called by God and you love God, he will work all good things out for you. And we go, really? I mean, economic uncertainty, coronavirus, tensions between the North and South in Korea. And have you seen what's going on in Hong Kong right now? And, and, oh my goodness, what's going to happen in the United States? Really? Good. No, no. It doesn't mean all is going to be working out fine now. It's ultimate good. This is immense assurance connected to our redemption. See, our salvation is rooted in eternity. That's what verse 29 and 30 are all about. Theologians call this section of scripture, the golden thread or golden tra- chain. We've all been called according to his purpose. I mean, this is critical. You never enter into relationship because of what you do or who you are. It's who calls you. I mean, Jesus said these very difficult, but important words. And, Matthew 22, 14. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Hold on to your hats. This next verse is exciting and difficult, but it is the core to understanding our identity as Jesus's brother and sisters. Verse 29, ready? For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might become the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Now, for new, I've talked about this before. is a very exciting, very difficult, very needed word. For new means God actively does this. See, Christians debate on this. Does God choose you because He knew before you were ever created that you'd choose Him? So it's He's passively going, uh, John, you're choosing me, so I'm choosing you. Or is it no? Actually, we're in sin and we've rebelled against God and we're spiritually dead. And God walks back into our life and says, "Come to life. I choose you." Which one is it? Christians have disagreed for 2000 years. I'm in box two because the word for new actually is an active word and has nothing to do with those who are being the recipients. God says, I'm calling you out of death into life. It's to intimately know God does the calling to secure our salvation in his eternal glory. Now, but why does God call you? Why does he predestine you? Why does he love you? that you might be conformed to the image of his son. Okay, John, what, is to, what does it mean to be conformed to the image of Jesus? Two things. Yeah, yeah, we become like Jesus, grow in holiness, living in and by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and what does that really mean? Oh, we become servants. Oh, there it is. Those who are true brothers and sisters of Jesus, not just relatives, become servants like James, Mary, and Jude but there's more ready to be conformed to the image of Jesus is talking about one thing resurrection about the restoration of what was lost in Eden. This is totally about physical resurrection. This is why Paul wrote, hang on with me. I promise I'm going to wrap all this up. First Corinthians 15 47. The first man, Adam was of the dust of the earth. The second man, Jesus is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those are so are those who are of the earth. And as as the heavenly man so are those who are heaven. And just as we have been born in the image of the earthly man, we will bear the image there's a connection to the heavenly man. What does that mean? What's the image of the heavenly man? Resurrection. That's why Paul would write later in Colossians 1, Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He's the first, he's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have supremacy. The whole reason why you were called for no one predestined loved is that you might be physically resurrected like Jesus from the father by the power of the Holy spirit as a new family is being built now and will be fully created later. Jesus ready is the first among many brothers and sisters, Jesus is our elder brother in resurrection. He's Jude, James, and Mary's elder brother in resurrection. He is the elder brother for all the father choose to adopt. That's why he said earlier in Romans eight nineteen for creation. Waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. All of reality is like craning its neck, stretching forward to, to see what was lost, regained. Well, Phillips, an old translator, put it like this The whole creation is on tiptoe to see the wonderful sight of the sons and daughters of God coming into their own. See, when we at the end of time are physically resurrected, Creation will be made right. It's like a two-step dance. We're made right and all things are made right. So Jesus is our brother in resurrection. Jesus makes us servants. But there's more. I love years ago, the famous pastor, maybe you know him, Charles Stanley. It's Andy Stanley's dad. He always has a huge Bible. If you've ever watched him preach, it's incredible how he does it. When he was thinking about this, he says, Jesus is our brother. you know what's amazing? He says, isn't it? He says, it's amazing that Jesus sticks up for us. He writes like the best of big brothers. He defends us and even fights our battles. He knows our weakness. He completely understands what it feels like to face the challenges we face. He's been there. Jesus even stands up with God, the father offering a sinless life and atoning death in our place. So Jesus is your brother to teach you what it is to also be a servant. Jesus is your brother to guarantee your resurrection. But there's something even more significant, especially in the season we're living in. Jesus is your brother. This is your identity. So you're not alone in your suffering. Hebrews 2.9. We do not see Jesus who, who was made a little, made lower than the angels for a little while. Now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Hold on in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. It was fitting for whom and through everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation. Perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are being made holy are of the same family. So Jesus, I love this. Jesus, hear this again. Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. Okay. Years ago, another pastor put it like this. One great aim of God in salvation is that he would have a great unified family of children with Jesus Christ being essentially different than, and yet deeply united to human, his other human brothers and sisters, both really different and really alike. And then he says this, but if all the brothers and sisters in the family experience suffering, except one, then the unity is jeopardized. And so for the sake of a common spirit of unity, and sympathy, and camaraderie, even in suffering, Jesus takes on human nature and he leads many sons to glory into his brotherhood through his suffering and death. And all of this hangs on God's aim to create a family that is so unified and so deeply interwoven and so empathetic that the family would be, je- would be jeopardized, would be undermined if the perfect older brother does not go through the pain the rest of the kids go through. In other words, Jesus chooses to be our elder brother. So when we really are broken, our savior knows. Now, how does this affect me today, me tomorrow? How does this affect our church? How does this affect my view of myself and the world? Well, number one, if you're a seeker here today or a skeptic, or you've grown up in church, or you're checking out our faith, this brings home again, one of the most important truths. You cannot just know about Jesus, or just be close to Jesus, or even belong to a family that knows Jesus. You have to choose to meet him personally. Mary, James, and Jude were the closest people in Jesus's life. Yet they still had to accept Him as Savior, Leader, and Lord, and ask for His work to forgive them of sins. If you have never did this, you just need to confess Jesus is Lord. You need to say it loud. I believe Jesus lived, died, physically rose again from the dead. I turn from my sin. I trust Jesus, the Christ, to forgive me. I don't want to know about Him. I don't want to belong to a family that talks about him. I want to know him. Maybe you need to do that today. Now, if you have done that, if you already are a Christian, then let me say this. One of your greatest identity markers, one of my greatest identity markers as a Christian is this. Jesus is our brother. I am a brother, John, Jonathan David Thompson. I am a brother of Jesus and Jesus is my older brother. And because that is true, how does this change my identity? How does this change how I live? Here it is. Jesus, my older brother, Jesus, your older brother, guarantees our physical resurrection. As we're living in this moment of COVID, where millions are struggling and hundreds of thousands have died and on and on it goes. Let me say this again. The only thing that is real hope in the Christian life in the largest and grandest sense is this. Death doesn't win. Resurrection's true. As Jesus, who was executed and murdered literally physically came back from the dead. So if Jesus is your elder brother and you're the brother or sister of Jesus, you are going to come back from the dead and you will have eternal life. That is hope giving during COVID-19. That is hope giving as you get old. That is hope giving if you have cancer. That is hope giving in every season of life. If Jesus is not your brother, you have no resurrection. If Jesus is your elder brother, oh, that is your identity. You are resurrected. It is guaranteed. Here's the other thing that is so profound. Did you catch it in the Hebrews text? Jesus, our older brother, is not ashamed of us. He's not ashamed of us. How many of us as Christians still feel shame when we walk into God's room, into God's presence? And yet Jesus says, because I've chosen to be your older brother and you now are my brother or sister, I'm not ashamed of you. Just hear that. Someone needs to hear that today. Maybe a whole group of people. Jesus is not ashamed of us. Why? Because already through love, he's covered everything that would cause shame and guilt. It's gone. I love when one pastor wrote this, Jesus is welcoming, never seeing us. I've never considered this, never seeing us as rivals or ridiculing our faults. He isn't even threatened by our adoption as God's children and feels no need to put us in our place. Instead, he actually reached out to us and invites us to join the family before before even we wanted to. Oh, he knows (laughs) we don't deserve God's love. And if he were like many other big brothers, he would point out, point that out to us and would bully us consistently. Some of you are like, Oh, I had older brothers like that. Oh, well instead, Jesus is kind. He's a gracious older brother. Only when you realize that Jesus is your brother, do you know resurrection is guaranteed? Only when you know Jesus is your brother, do you actually really start believing you can talk to God at any time because you're family. Only when your identity that Jesus is your elder brother and you're his sister or brother, that you can really start saying that God is not ashamed of me because of Christ. But lastly, Jesus, our brother reminds us that you cannot be the brother of Jesus or the sister of Jesus and not be a servant. Being a servant Declaring I'm a slave of God and I have no rights and I own nothing. I don't own my house, my car, my life, my kids, my friendships, my influence, my edu- I own, I am a bondservant of God. He owns everything with joy. Only brothers and sisters of Jesus who've experienced his elderly brotherly love would ever be able to say I'm truly a servant. But if you are a Christian, Jesus is your older brother. Resurrection is guaranteed. Shame has been removed, which should actually cause you to pray differently and live differently and hope differently and should move you, should move us to also become a servant of anyone, of anyone. James, Jude, and Mary really knew their family connection. They started with servant, but ended with brother and sister. And now we are both. So God, a simple prayer, uh, spirit of Jesus Christ, would you be sent among Sanctus Church and of course others that are watching. Would you reassure us that Jesus is our elder brother? Would you teach people to pray in a different way because Jesus is our elder brother? May our identity be marked differently. May resurrection be guaranteed in a new way. May access to prayer be understood in a better way. And may servanthood be marked deeper than I can even preach. Thanks, Jesus, your elder brother. We're very thankful we get to be part of your family. And we're incredibly thankful you choose to be with us and be okay with us because of your work. We pray this in Jesus' name. We all said, wherever you are, at any house or car, amen. Thanks, everyone. Continue to build your identity in the truths of scripture and nowhere else. Look forward to seeing you next week as we continue to walk through this incredible series on who we are because of what God has done and said, not what we've done or what we've said. We'll see you next week. God bless.